Episode 170 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the much-missed English author of children's books, Elizabeth Beresford, who most famously created The Wombles. Her series of books about the Wombles, fictional furry creatures who lived in burrows on Wimbledon Common and helped the environment by collecting and recycling rubbish, were turned in the 1970s into a hugely popular TV series and even a chart-topping pop group. Elizabeth's other creations adapted for TV included Bertie the Bat and Dawdle the Donkey. From 1949 until 1984, Elizabeth was married to the brilliant sports commentator Max Robertson, who's best remembered for his live coverage of Wimbledon tennis. In the mid-1970s, the family moved to Alderney in the Channel Islands, where Elizabeth sadly died in December 2010 at the age of 84. My interview with this wonderful character took place in 1998, when the Wombles were back on the telly. So I started by asking her how she felt about that. Well, they never really went away because they were being repeated on Channel 4 until last year. Right. But I didn't know there was going to be a new series until last year. Hmm. I'm delighted. I'm sure you are, yeah. But did it take you by surprise that they, they should want a new series? Not really. I mean, it's kind of been sort of in the pipeline for a long while now, so one knew it was going to happen at some point, and then quite suddenly it all happened. Well, you say it's been the uh, people been saying to you all these years, because as far as well, I... I don't own the rights, you see. If they were passed on to another company, Sinar, and they suddenly got the bit between their teeth and away they galloped. It was part of my childhood, which is, you know, in the 70s, really. Yeah. And I sort of was quite surprised to see it coming back. But did it surprise you at all, or did you always really, have memories yeah. all these years that people would want it back? I, I thought it might. I mean, they brought Paddington back, didn't they? Indeed, they did, yeah. <laughs> people when they create something fantastically successful like you did with the Wombles that it's sometimes a bit of a millstone around your neck you kind of wish you could be thought of for something else as well. Well I think I am you know largely because I've written an awful lot of other things as well. Sure. So that it wasn't really no it just makes I don't take it all that seriously it makes people laugh that's what it's all about. Oh yeah absolutely but do people always go on about the Wombles to you or? No because I shut them up. You shut them up do you? Yes oh. I say that's enough of that. Tell me about your garden. Right. <laughs> You've got another series on at the moment, The Adventures of Dawdle. That's right, Dawdle the Donkey. Yes. yes. And how long ago was Dawdle the Donkey created? Crikey. About a year and a half. And it's lovely because I've got one character in that called the Roller Polar Bear. And David Jason does the voiceover. And yeah. he's such a pleasure to write for. All right. So you actually write for somebody's voice, do you? Well, you do to a certain extent. As I'm writing the script, I think to myself... Now, how would he say that? Oh, yes, that would be, he'd love that line, or whatever, you know. Yeah. You write in different fields, as it were. Well, I write children's books, and I write television. And I have written quite a lot of um, articles and all the rest of it, like you, you know. You name it, I've written for it. Obviously, you have some kind of a special connection with children. Where do you think that comes from? I've got a retarded personality. (laughs) Is that how you put it? Well, more or less, I I just like talking to children. Hmm. And children quite often come into the kitchen where I am right now and talk to me. You come from a family of writers, I don't yeah, you? Yeah, my father was a novelist. And my eldest brother wrote a bestseller when he was still up at Cambridge and had spent the rest of his life trying to live it down. <laughs> <laughs> Your godfather was a famous poet, though. 
uh, Walter Delamere. Yeah. And my godmother was Eleanor Fargin. Yes, incredible. Well, well, one grew up here. I mean, if you're a grocer, you probably got, you know, chaps who run delicatessens, your godfather. I mean, it's all part of the trade you're in, isn't it? Do you remember your godfather yes, very well? I saw, uh, uh, we used to call him Uncle Dollymer. <laughs> Not awfully long before he died. He lived in Twickenham then. And he was a sweet man. He was terribly nice. And you met a lot of other successful yeah. authors when you yeah. were young. Well, you see, oh, my father was nearly, oh, crikey, nearly 50 when I was born. And then his sort of writing career broke up and he left home anyway. So that it all happened when I was very small. I do remember H.G. Wells standing in front of the fireplace with his hands behind his back and his legs, his feet far apart, talking and talking in a very high voice. I do remember that. Do you have any memories of George Bernard Shaw or anybody? None, no. I spoke to him on the phone, but no, I don't really. Is it quite magical when you think back to those times when you were young, you know, with these famous literary connections or did you just think of it as a normal you just take it as normal don't you mm. totally you really do some of them are a bit eccentric i suppose looking back but i don't know <laughs> <laughs> was your dad quite eccentric he was very unusual yes he was he'd had polio as a child so he was always on crutches mm. he was a very tall good-looking man and one always took it for i think by the other day took it for granted that he was on crutches he never made any fuss about it at all he was a tremendous walker a swing along the front of Brighton. You said that um, when he died, his fame as a writer seemed to die with him. He became a forgotten writer in a way, yes. He was very much a writer of the 20s, you know. His fame had already gone by the time I surfaced, yeah. Was that a source of great sadness to you, that do you wish he had? Well, one does, looking back, you know, wish that he had had more recognition. He did when he was first started writing. He was thought of, I think, as being one of the best six novelists in Britain at one time. Gosh. I know. Did it give you an incentive to oh, be... because one was always surrounded by books. Our house was crammed with books, and he was a book reviewer for the Westminster Gazette. So one, you know, there were always new books coming in. I loved books. I, all my life I've loved books. So I noticed from what you said, that fantastic story about when you lifted up the carpet when you were in, that, in those friends' house. Oh, God, that was hysterical. I got desperate. <laughs> I understand about, about alcoholics now. You've just got to have something to read, anything. The back of a, of a you know, a sauce bottle will do. You're a wordaholic, are you? A wordaholic, yeah. Really? And do you tend to read novels or books? I read by... everything. We've got a fantastic library here and a very good bookshop. I read a book a week, usually, Gosh. sometimes a book every four days. And there, there are some brilliant books out there. Do you ever read your own books? Not a lot. Right. Was it an incentive to you to keep the family name going by becoming a successful writer? Well, I think one just slid into it. I mean, I was a journalist to start with, and that you turned to the trade which you know most about, don't you? And that was the one. Do you think, in a way, you were born into it? That you had yes, a... I think you are. I think you pick up what, you, what you're surrounded by, don't you? Do you think you have a special gift? Oh, I don't know about that. I just... I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think about it all that much. I just do it. It's what I do. Yeah. When you were a child, did anybody tell you that you would be special one day, that you would be very successful? I don't think they did. You know, they were talking about the 30s, and children were really not treated like they are now. I mean, you, you kept your place, didn't you? <laughs> Especially women, do you think? Do you mean? No, I don't think so. I mean, my, I had three elder brothers, and they went out and about and had great adventures all over the world, really. But uh, people didn't take all that much notice of you. 
adventure seems to be the key word of you. You've had some tremendous adventures from yeah. what I've read. Well, any journalist does. I bet you do, too. I, I certainly have had a few, yeah. Yeah, but, well, uh, there you go. It's part of the job, isn't it? Yeah, but and life to you is, seems to be a lot of fun, and you've really gone for it, haven't you? I mean, they say life is what you make it. You've certainly made it as exciting as possible. Well, you always needed the work, and you didn't dare say no. That's what it came out with me. Yes, of course I'll do it, I said. Because ah. <laughs> <laughs> with all respect, I, I imagined, you know, around the 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, that it was, you know, the women were not expected to go out and work as much. No, well, you see, my mother worked because when my father's fortunes went downhill, she started taking in lodgers. Oh, yes. guests, we used to call them in those days. And she was a brilliant <coughs> cook and a wonderful organiser. If Mother had been born 50 years later, she'd have been chairman of ICI. <laughs> she was the most efficient person I've ever known in my life. So I grew up, I mean, Mother worked. Mm. So it was natural to you to work as well, then? I never thought about it, I just did it. Yeah. You said that as a journalist you met a great many film stars, most of whom seemed to... You me who and I can't remember. Now. I am, yes. Oh, I tell you what, I did have one marvellous experience. Oh, God. Oh, that Charlton Heston. Gosh, he was a dream. And he and I were giving the prizes away at a tennis competition in South Africa. Oh, crikey, it's about 20, no, 15 years ago. And he was doing the seniors and I was doing the juniors. And he just was beautiful. I mean, and he didn't speak to me except one magic line. <laughs> when the photographers and the television crews advanced on us, he turned to me and he said... Lift the chin, kid. Lift the chin. <laughs> and I thought, he's spoken to me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, the lovely one was Richard, what's his name, Burton. Richard Burton, yeah. Oh, that was, that was another one. You know, well, you know what it's like being a journalist. It was all arranged to do an interview with him in the BBC's Oxford studio. And I got my questions and they'd been okayed and all the rest of it. And then he came and we sat down opposite each other, the microphone in between us. I was a bit nervous, I have to admit. And he just sat down, totally relaxed, and just as the green light went on, he leant round the corner of the microphone, and he looked straight at me, and he smiled, and I became completely unconscious. Oh. Everything went out of my head altogether. He did it deliberately. I just, blah, 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 blah. that's all that happened to me. I don't remember anything about the interview at all. I mean, it was, he just was so magnetic. And yeah. he just did it, and this poor interviewer from the Beeb just melted away. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Were you ever asked out by any of the people that you interviewed? Oh, I can't remember now. I'm sure you can. <laughs> I, honestly, I can't. I, you know what it's like. I've done so many of them. I really, really can't. Yeah, but not that many of them would have asked you out, presumably. Oh, I don't remember. But you, you actually met your husband that way, didn't you? Yes. Isn't I was that asked right? to go and look after him at a press conference. Christ, I can't remember where Max was working for then. I don't know, it was, it was um, I was working for the Conservative Central Office, and it was the annual conference in Brighton, and I was there from, as a member of the press department, very yeah. lowly, and one of the, the senior press women said to me, go and look after that man over there. So, was, so off I went and did. Oh, so you didn't actually interview him, you just looked after him? And that's right, got him a drink, tried to cheer him up. Oh. I have to tell you that I used to sit next to him at Wimbledon. No. When was yeah. that? When they gave me a job looking after lots of students there, and, and I used to sit in this little box next to the BBC commentary box. I used to sit looking at him through the glass for years because I was so in awe of his speed of speech. He was, he was the best tennis commentator there's ever been, yeah. I think. And I don't think <coughs> the BBC have ever given him the, the 
accolade which no. he deserves. His departure was uh, not fair at all, actually. He, no, he sh- well, you know what the Beeb's like. See, I now live near Wimbledon Common, but I used to live near a place called Wombleton in Yorkshire. No, I didn't know there was one. Yeah, it's, it's the next to the village that I was living in, in Yorkshire, and I used to have, I used to be a big Womble fan. Which one did you like the best? Um, I didn't really have a favourite, I just liked them all, really. I, but I didn't really have a favourite one, not like the Spice Girls or something like that. No, dear. <laughs> well, which one's your favourite? Oh, I think Great Uncle Bulgaria. Yes? My father-in-law. Yeah. That's his father. Yeah. Who was a dear. Stern and strict, but an absolute dear. Before you invented the Wombles or created the Wombles, what what were your favourite creations before that? Oh, well, my magic books, which yeah. oddly enough sold more than the Womble books, but nobody ever hears anything about that now. And are they still in print? Any of these? I shouldn't think so for a minute. I don't mm. know. But do you ha- do you still have editions of them yes, at home? Yes, I have. Have you got everything you've ever written at home? I don't know, I'm not sure. I had a publisher ringing me last or this week. I don't know about my latest books and I couldn't remember. It's awful. I've oh. got a kind of record. So your your house is not full of bookshelves of your oh, own? Yeah. Oh, first... not, no, only in the parlour I've got my books and then the, the rest of the house is full of other people's books. Did you start off by entertaining your own children when they were young with your own stories or how did well, that... Well, I've always, I've always told stories, yeah. I've always found it's a very good way of keeping children quiet. If you've got a really unruly child or whatever <laughs> in the kitchen, yes, eh? And um, some visiting island child, and I'll say, just sit down for a minute, and I'll tell you a story. Now, did you know that the other day, and in no time flat, you know, that child is sitting there as good as gold and listening. We all love stories. But things have changed so much, haven't they? Not basically. You don't think so? Not basically. I was at a reception the other day, which was for very superior young men from British Telecom or somewhere, and they were all very high-tech successful young men and one of them I was talking to him and he was being a bit superior you know sort of say, oh you write children's books do you oh yeah. really yeah. I thought play this for a lark and I said yes yes I do I, I've just finished a collection of short stories actually and, and the story I've just finished is about this second hand vacuum cleaner <laughs> now somebody buys it in a jumble say you see and they take it home and they put it in a cupboard at the end of the hall and one night and this chap I watched him I talked, and he's a man in his early 30s. As I talked, he didn't look away from me. He didn't have a sip of his drink. He was mesmerized. He just was, you see. And we love stories. When you were a child, were you always making up stories? Yes, I think I was. Didn't anyone read to you stories? Or yes, you... one of my, my brother Marcus used to tell me the most horrendous adventure <laughs> stories. Horrendous? What, frightening ones? I don't know. I think they were ahead of their time. Right. <laughs> so he's a good storyteller too, then. Oh, he became a scriptwriter in Hollywood. And what does he do now? He, he shot himself. Oh gosh, I'm sorry to hear that. What, when did you, when did your gift first develop into oh, printing? Oh, I never thought of it as a gift. It was just a way of early and living. When I was about nineteen, I suppose. Yeah. And did you sort of tell your stories to other, you know, teenagers at that stage, or? I don't think so. No. Just put them down on print. Well, um. A way of earning money, wasn't it? Yeah. Don't let's get too sentimental about this. <laughs> How I earn my money. What stage did you become disciplined as a writer? Did you start sort of saying? because oh, I had a very good boss, Mr. Woodham, who was a dear. He was a war correspondent, had been. Sweetheart, he said, you'll never make a secretary. <laughs> See if we can turn you into a writer. And he jolly did. And if I didn't turn, if my copy wasn't right, he used to throw it at me across the office and shout at me, you're a bloody pie can. Yes, Mr. Woodham. 
<laughs> You've still not worked out what a pie can is. It's not no. a pecan, is it? So I don't you say pie can. I don't know what it is. Very strange, isn't it? That was very, very good training. Yeah, but the thing is, it's the discipline of sitting down. I've been trying to write a book for years, but I'm just sitting down and doing if, it. If you've got children at school, I had a dependent mother because my father ended up with no money at all, so I was supporting my mother. <laughs> from, from the age of 17, I was supporting my mother. God. And then you've got Max's job was always pretty erratic, you know. Hmm. So then I've got two dependent children as well. And I've got, I'm flame, blow me, I'm paying my grandson's school fees. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've got four foster children. So you're saying that's motivation enough? Yes. You've got four foster children? Yes. I didn't know that. Sorry, I didn't catch that till later. When did you adopt oh, them? I think, I think one ought to do it. I've got, in the third world, two boys and two girls. Right. I've had seven so far. Um, three of them are now grown up, and I've got another another three and the original one of the original. So I've got four still. Do you ever go and visit them? No, you're not encouraged to do that. Two boys and two girls. I write to them about every six weeks. I've just had a horrendous letter from Samuel in Kenya about the floods and the deaths there. Yeah. Wow. Terrible time they're having. Do you still travel a lot, though? Because you used to travel loads, didn't you? Yes, I did. Not if I can help it. Your own children, were they quite enchanted by your stories? I don't know. You used to keep them quiet. (laughs) And did you always have other children coming around to see you and so on? Yes, still do. Oh, yes. What, you like to sort of bring them around for tea? Is it no, irregular? I don't thing? bring them around. They just come straight in. Right. Turn around. There's a child sitting at the kitchen table. Hello, Liza. <laughs> <laughs> How fun. Have you always been called Liza? Pretty well, I think. That was just a natural nickname from your parents, is it? No, they always call me Elizabeth. Elizabeth? Right. Yes, dear. <laughs> the fact you were born in Paris, is that what made you want to live in Alderney, nearer France or something? No. Or is that irrelevant? No, no, it wasn't that at all. It was Max had was, was always convinced the Wombles were going to make a fortune. In actual fact, they didn't. Because um, you um, sold them so cheaply. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, I used to get fifty pounds a program. <laughs> <laughs> Which even in those days was not a lot of money. <laughs> oh come on! In the second series, I got seventy-five. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really kick yourself over all no, that? No, I don't care. It made me go on writing other stuff, which I'd mm. rather do in a way. May I ask you why your marriage didn't work out, or is well, that too Well, Max pers- said that we'd got to come and live over here, because he was convinced that I was going to be a tax exile, and it didn't work out, and I didn't want to come and live here. I was very happy living in London, because I used to see my kids were then grown up, but only just. I used to see them every weekend. I had a stack of friends, hmm. and he said, I've got to come and live here. So in the end, I thought that it was just stupid. Of course, I've got to, if I've got to. Hmm. Came over here. I thought, now, just go and make the best of it. Don't be a stupid old woman. <laughs> so I did, and I made new friends here and new neighbours, and he hated it. Oh, right. D- isn't that ironic? Yes, it is very ironic, isn't it? Very, and he was the one who left. Mind you, he keeps in touch a lot, especially if he, he's still on a percentage of anything that may come up. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yes, no. <yeah. laughs> so you, you, you still are in contact. Then. Oh, yes. But you, you have two children... Yeah, and two grandchildren whose birthdays it was yesterday. Yes, dear. And who are the grandchildren by? Are they three? Marcus, Marcus, Marcus. Right, Marcus, Marcus. Oh no, Marcus. <laughs> Marcus, I have to tell you, is a great entrepreneur and now employs fifty people. How about that? Right, that's. Right. It. And people say to me, "What does he do?" And I say, "Everyone in sight." <laughs> He's got a very successful public relations company, Craigie Taylor. Uh, and has he He's got Marcus your... Craigie Robertson? 
Oh, is he right? Because you know my surname's Robertson as well, which is yeah, another cousin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There certainly are, yeah. And Kate, who, who, does, who is she? And Kate is a freelance journalist and writes chairman's reports and things like that. Did you ever meet Enid Blyton? No, I didn't. Yes, I did. What am I saying? Of course I did. She came in to see Woody. Yes, he interviewed her. Yes, I did. And I was just a shorthand typist, you know, at the time. Um, I never got the feeling that she would terribly like children, actually. Do you think it's necessary to be keen on children? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if Ian Nesbitt was, was she? You, were you an Ina Blyton fan at all? Did you like her stuff, or did you feel it was a bit mass-produced? No, I was, Inez, <laughs> and I was um, an Ian Nesbitt fan. I adored Ian Nesbitt as a child. But mm -hmm. I've often been asked, what do I think about Ian Blyton? And I've said I'm all in favour, because she gets children reading. She got yeah. my daughter Kate reading. Kate is now way ahead of me intellectually, and is a, you know, a fantastic reader. Are you friends with any other authors? Do you, do you keep in touch, or do you just prefer to have ordinary friends, as it were? Just who crosses one's path, really, isn't it? There's Richard Cox, the thriller writer. He lives here. I see quite a bit of Coxie. Oh, I don't know. I have done in the past. Lots of them, and, and illustrators as well. There aren't that many people on Alderney. Do you know everyone there? I presume everyone knows you. Nearly. Oh, I don't know if they do or not. About 2,200, I think we are now at the moment. We have a very high proportion of children here. Yes, it's quite amazing, isn't it? Is Not that really? It's all those passing Jersey fishermen, but never mind. <laughs> is that yeah. what it is? No, it's I when I when I'm asked this by the press, I say it's our beautiful climate and all these lovely girls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you say that initially you didn't want to go to Alderney, but now you're obviously very happy here. What, what stage? Oh, it's a magic place. For, it's a magic place for children and for writers. Oh, I tell you, who was a great friend of mine, who and who I miss terribly, who lived here. I really do, and that was John Arlott. Oh, yes. Oh, of course, he'd been a friend of my father's, yeah. helped Marcus start his business, and my elder son, Charlie Robertson, was born on John Arlott's birthday, and is Charlie Finton Arlott Robertson. How about that? Oh, right. All right. And John used to ring me every day, every day, and this voice would say, when are you going to come and have a drink with me? <laughs> and I loved it because John was a great intellectual, you know, and a very knowledgeable man about books and writers, yeah. and I could sit and listen to John for hours. Have you got three children, then? No, two. Two children? Uh, my grandson, Charlie. Oh, your grandson. Yesterday. Right, oh, I beg Ch your Charlie pardon. Finton, Arlott Robertson. Yes, indeed, yeah. Do you have any kind of routine with your writing yes. at all now? Yes, I do. In fact, I should be doing the washing up right now. Then I should be out in the garden planting out in the greenhouse the seed trays, if you don't mind. <laughs> Um, I finished digging over the vegetable plot. I'm terribly popular with my neighbours. I got all my own fruit and vegetables. And then I go to an office in the afternoon. Do you? Yeah. So you don't work in your own house? No. Why is that? Because I don't get interrupted down in the office. Well, I do, actually. Everybody comes into the office now. Um, no, it's a wonderful arrangement. It's a dear little office block down at the bottom of the town there, here. Right. And uh, Marcus has got an overseas office called Orinoco Limited. <laughs> and if I take my typewriter from Marcus's little office and into the landlord's office and answer the landlord's telephone and fax, Marcus gets his rent reduced. How funny. Oh, so it's magic. Are you, are you serious that you still use a typewriter? Yes, dear. Have you never been tempted? it's mobile. Well, yeah, but so are laptop computers. Yes, I know, I know, but it is, and I just bang it out. No problems. Are you one who refuses to adapt to modern technology? No, not at all. It's just handy for all me at the moment, the way it is. I produce X thousand words a year. How many thousand? Oh, God knows. Thousands. Have you ever tried to use a computer? No. 
never bothered. <laughs> you know, we were saying earlier that you'd sold your scripts for a song, basically, years ago. But are you more canny about that now? Do you well, all... it's up to the agents, isn't it? Right, so you've now got an agent and they're much oh, sharper. I've always had an agent, but some agents are better than others. Right, you certainly had a bad one then, didn't you? Oh, no. It says in your little biog here that at the peak of the Wombles time, you were getting threatening phone calls from people... Oh, I did, yes. I did at one time. Uh, what, what sort of threats do they make to you? Oh, we're going to come and do you over. Really? Because you called the Wombles Wombles? Yes. Dear. What would you say to them? It was always happens when I was in London. It always happened when I was alone in that rather big house. Right. On Wands on Wandsworth Common. And in the end, I got awfully canny. I, when the phone rang... I used to just pick it up and say, Wandsworth Police Station, WPC Brown here, can I help you? <laughs> I did, I did, and it stopped it dead. Did it? And they it thought I was being diverted, you see. <laughs> Talking of dead, you had some death threats as well, didn't you? Yeah. Who I were they from? I remember that. I don't know. And that was because of the Wombles? Oh, I don't know. That could be because of anything. There yeah. are always a few of them about, aren't there? Yeah. Do they leave you alone now, though? Hopefully. Yeah, well, yes, I hope so, yeah. It says here that one of the aides of a certain U.S. president came knocking on the door. Yes, Major Gallagher. And which president was it? Reagan. Oh, right. So to say that he was very fond of Madame Shirley. He said uh, he himself, uh, uh, the Mr. President would like you to know that he himself is very fond of Madame Shirley. And I thought, oh boy, yes, I can see Mrs. Reagan in Madame Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, give my regards to the president, have it kind, etc. And it was, it was that same summer that that woman came to see me. I'd been working on the railway because I'm the station master on Sunday afternoons. And uh, this woman came up to me and said, uh, you, are, you are Elizabeth Beresford. And I said, yes. yes. <laughs> and she said, I'm over here on holiday and I'm a friend of Chancellor Cole. And Chancellor Cole would like me to see you and say that he himself likes particularly gross Uncle Bulgaria. <laughs> I thought I'd really gone mad now. <laughs> but I've really had rather a soft spot for chance to pole ever since, because it makes him much more human. Oh. <laughs> Have you never had any direct communication from either President Reagan or Chancellor no, Cole? No, no, always through an aide. Do you get quite chuffed, though, when you I hear that... It makes me laugh. Yeah. I think it's hysterical. <laughs> quite right, too. It makes them much more human, doesn't it? Uh-huh. But you know, you know, I went to the palace last week, right? Back oh, the Queen was marvellous. Yeah, it was at the MBE, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. She yeah. said to her, uh, I was jolly glad it was all over, mind you, but um, she said to me, um, I'm so glad to meet you. I want to say thank you for everything you've done for the children. Oh. So I thought, it was like, I think I was a bit of light relief, frankly. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it was kind of very worthy. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Is she a Wombles fan, then, the Queen? Well, I wouldn't care to say, sir. I wouldn't <laughs> care to comment. Have you been given any other awards over the years? I don't think so. I can't remember. Do you feel you've been given the credit you deserve? I never thought about it, dear heart. To be honest, I thought, oh. oh, you know, it's a matter of them. I'm terribly nice, and I'm not so sure what I've done with it. No? I put it. I put, oh, it's one of the um, chaps there, one of the queries. I got Great Uncle Bulgaria in my hat bag. Oh, was that like a stuffed toy of Great yeah, Uncle? Yeah, toy, Bulgaria. And one of the queries was tickled to death by this, and he said, "I give you a little hook." He said, and he put this hook onto Bulgaria's fur so that I could hang the medal on Bulgaria so that when we oh. drove out of the palace I had Bulgaria propped up in the window at the back of the car and the children were coming from all over you can down the mall you oh. know, and all the rest of it shrieking and laughing and waving to Bulgaria oh, <laughs> lovely. 
wearing the medal. Tell me about this um, station master business. That's quite oh, strong. I love that. How did you get involved in that? Well, you get involved in everything here. Yeah, listen, I've worked as a waitress. You name it, I've done it. No. Of course I have. A oh. landlady, um, for a fly-in. In fact, I've already... I don't want to show off, because I've already been booked for the fly-in for June, for my pilots coming to stay. What's a fly-in, please? Oh, it's magical. It happens usually, crikey, when it's the last week in June, I think. What's the first week? can't remember. And they have a fly, and it's terribly well organised. And we get up to 150 little aircraft coming here from all over the world. Like a little air show, really, is yes. it? Yeah. And they line up at the airport. It's all beautifully arranged and done. And because we haven't got that much accommodation, we have to put up the pilots. And I, I've had the same pilots for about 10 years now. Really? They book themselves in again year after year. Funny. And they sit around the kitchen table having these wonderfully technical conversations with each other while I serve their breakfast. <laughs> And anyway, the railways, it's all voluntary, and it um, runs at Easter, at Christmas, and during the summer, at weekends, and I'm a fully trained, who don't mind, um, station master. Did you go on a course, then, to yes. train? Did you? Yes, all of 20 minutes. It's uh, great. Yeah. Not only that, you get the flag, the whistle, we go out on time, sir, if you don't mind, we answer all the queries, we make sure all the doors are shut, mind your backs, please, <laughs> ah, and then you go out and stop the traffic, that's what I like to <laughs> One moment, please. You stand there, wearing the uniform, and you point your finger, and even the police have to stop for me, and they lean out of the window going, Oh, I didn't know that! <laughs> and I say, one moment, please. Oh. <laughs> so this, this railway crosses the island, is it? Yeah, well, it runs from the harbour to the lighthouse. And so, basically, most people on the island pretty much know each other, and yeah. um, they all muck in. For you've got to, you've got to, you've got to. An island cuts you down to size very quickly. It sounds like a, a fairly eccentric lifestyle yes, over there. It suits me down <laughs> Do you think you are eccentric? Very. Oh, yes. Do you like that? Yes. Yeah. Have you always been, or do you think it's because you live on an island? No, I think I've always been. Yeah. Do you find it quite a lonely existence, writing? Never. No, writing itself, no, because it makes me laugh, and I know if it makes me laugh, it's going to make somebody else laugh. <laughs> That's very true, isn't it? Yeah. I always think well, if I'm writing something that makes me cry, that it's presumably going to make somebody else cry yeah, when they read it. That's right. So it isn't, I don't find it lonely at all. Do you try and look to do humorous work then? Do you try and write humorous stuff? I tend stuff? to write, yes, a laugh in. I've, just, I've got a book coming out in April, Island Treasure. Island Treasure? Is that about Alderney? No. Well, it's about an island, yeah. And I guarantee that these two kids, one a visitor and one who lives here, think they found the treasure of all time from the German occupation. And I guarantee you won't cotton on what the real treasure is until the last paragraph of the book, and I'm not going to tell you. No, no, please don't. So how many books is this now? It's about I don't know, dear. I've not counted. It's about 140. And uh, how many do you tend to write a year? About two a year, I suppose. Two a year, yeah. Sorry, you were, earlier on you were telling me your routine. You do a lot of gardening and so on in the morning. Then you go to your son's office. Yeah. And how long would you write for? I usually write for two hours. That's about as much as I can do. That's pretty concentrated, as you know. Two hours a day? Yeah. And that's it? That's it. And well, and then, of course, the rest of the time, then I, I do the usual things. I get a lot of fan mail. You know, I do all that bit. And answering questionnaires and so on and so forth. Talking to journalists. Yes. Actual writing. Unless I'm really, really pushed for the deadline. Two hours concentrated writing. It's quite a lot, you know. I wrote a whole picture book yesterday afternoon. But all the time, when you're not actually writing, do ideas come into your head and you jot them down on a piece of paper nope. somewhere? No, no, I don't even think about it until I get yeah. out of the office and then I sit down and think, come on, right, you've got to start thinking now. Otherwise you'd go mad. 
So it's all concentrated on those two hours in a day. Pretty well. Kind of whirling about in the back of one's mind, you know, in the, one's subconscious. I'm feeding all the information I've got, what the publisher wants or whatever. And then forget it. And uh, with any luck, up comes the old subconscious as I sit down at the typewriter. Do you... Sometimes I haven't got an idea in my mind. I've got, to, I've got a, a television script to write this week. Nothing to do with the one book. I haven't got an idea in my head. But I know bloody well when I sit down tomorrow, something will come out of somewhere. Do you only work Monday to Friday, those yeah, two hours? Yeah, pretty well. You I never work a weekend? I may have to work this weekend, I think, but I try not to. Otherwise, you do go balmy, you know. And I've got friends over this weekend anyway. Do you find there's a certain time of the day when you yes. write best? Cause, I mean, it's in the afternoon. Really? I wonder why that is. For me, I've it's got a theory. When's yours? First thing in the morning. So what time were you born? Three o'clock in the morning. There you are. Is that what it's all I'm about? I'm sure it's got a lot to do with it. What are you trying to write? memoirs sort of thing but uh, memories you know you always write from your own experiences don't you oh really? yes always yeah. always I think a I lot of you make anything up <laughs> or a lot of your womble adventures from your own honestly I write it you know and then I forget it to be honest do you tend to get quite attached to your characters yes it's very funny I won't go into personalities but Tobermory yeah the um, chap who runs the workshop and the muckwomble are both based on real people, and I will not say who. And they quarrel. And in real life, these two chaps used to quarrel. I can't keep it out of them. So they haven't recognised themselves? No. Does anyone... Well, yeah, maybe. Ah, oh, we won't go into that. Because mm. you have acknowledged who some of the people are based on. Have they ever challenged you about it? Has anyone yeah, ever said to you? No. Marcus loves it. <laughs> <laughs> I presume they're quite flattered, really. It gives them a bit of a legendary status, doesn't oh, it? I don't know. We don't, we don't take it any very seriously, you know. Quite a lot of uh, merchandising and memorabilia was made of the Wombles and probably will be again, I presume. Do you keep all that? I don't often get given it. Come on. I don't know. I don't know what you keep and what no, you don't. Sometimes things turn up. Mm, I, what? Say, I say hopefully I'd love to have a soft toy and nothing happens. Have you never had a full-size Womble or anything? No. Do oh, you? I don't care. Well, when you were with them on Wimbledon Common a couple of weeks ago... Yes, yes. ...you didn't get to take one home? Yes, last week. No, dear. <laughs> but what do you think of Mike Batt's pop group? Did you like all that? Oh, I thought he was brilliant. Yes? Yeah, I thought we were jolly. He's been over here to see me. I've got a marvellous photograph, actually, of him sitting in the parlour with... ...the little sitting room, uh, with my son Marcus. Both of them watching... Wombles on television. I just, I, because I, photography's my great <laughs> hobby. Is there going to be a whole load of new songs then? I don't know, dear. I'm just the writer. I'd be the last to know. Sure, 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 sure. Alderney, do you think you'll always live on Alderney now? I suppose until I go into <laughs> sheltered housing. Oh. Ah. Uh, no, my kids love coming over here. I mean, Kate was over here not long ago and Marcus was over at Christmas and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. It is, it's a wonderful place to relax in. Can you put your finger on the magic of Alderney? I think it's partly the quiet and partly it's very beautiful, you know. You can go out of my front door. I'm only in this little cobble street. And my original house is 1726. Can you imagine that? My old cottage. And you can just walk up to the cliffs. The cliffs are, what, five, six minutes away? There's all that sea and all that sort of majesty. And you can just see the coastline of France and a couple of fishing boats bobbing past. Just cuts you down, to, and it's so peaceful, it's so beautiful. Do you ever pop over to the mainland, France? John and I used to go, John Arlott and I, because he loved going to the hypermarket. It was his idea of bliss. Well, <laughs> whereabouts in France was the hypermarket? Cherbourg. Cherbourg, right. 
And do you ever island hop? Only if they make me. What, for publicity purposes? Well, they? if they go on which group, something or clue, something or yeah. Apart from your duties and things as a station master or whatever, do you, you have to open all the stores and things because you're the, no. the celebrity on the no, island? No, no, of course I'm not. Nobody, nobody thinks of me like that. It's just all right then, Liza. <laughs> you said your house is 17, 26? Yeah. yeah. What's the history of the actual house then? Do you know? I know quite a bit about it. Well, like all the houses here, they, were, they, were, they had a couple of pigs and some hens out of the back and they lived off the land and the fishing. And I suspect quite a bit of smuggling. Yeah. Piracy, shall we say? Yeah. And most of the houses date back to about that time, yes, then? Yes, they do. They do. Was that the first house you moved to when you moved to Alderney? Well, I had it, I bought it, cracking, 30 years ago, 35 right. years ago for 2,000 quid. Gosh. I know, but I was only earning 800 a year. And gradually, gradually sort of updated it and modernised it and so on. And it's got a lovely atmosphere. Is it haunted? No, I don't. If it is, it's a very nice bit of haunting. It's just very relaxed. People mm. just like coming in here. I get all sorts. Had one of the firemen came in last night to see me. Is it stacked with books? There are, there are bookshelves pretty well everywhere, yes. Yeah. And do you so go on the beach and all that sort of thing? Or? Um, in the summer, <coughs> yes, when the kids are over. Because the beaches are lovely here. They yeah, really are beautiful and they're never crowded, of course. <laughs> Six other people and it's a crowd. Do you never get lots of tourists over there, then? In the summer, they say the population doubles, but the island just sort of absorbs them, really. Yeah. It's when the hotels and the pubs and the traders make their money, so we encourage them as much as we can. How often do you actually leave the island? As little as possible. Oh, I don't know. Once or twice a year. Really? Is that all? Yeah. Because you simply don't need to, don't no, want to? don't need to. Do you feel that's where you belong, then? Yes. I do. I mean, I've got a lot of friends here. I've had two friends in already this morning. And terribly nice neighbours. Um, it's got everything I want, as I say. It's got this and it's a beautiful church, which I love. A very nice vicar. Are you quite religious? I am pretty, yeah. What about political? I was on the States here for three years. I've done my stint. I've done that, been there, done that. You're on the what? Well, we, we're independent, you know. We have our oh, yeah. own parliament. And I was on that for three years. Yeah. You're like an MP over there. That's right. You said initially, before you went there, that you hadn't wanted to leave London. You were very happy here. What do you feel when you come to London now? Do you know what I do notice, I have to say, is how dirty it is. The air is dirty. The air here is so clear. Oh, well, that I can imagine. So yeah. clean. I mean, it's a photographer's <coughs> dream. really is. And I, I was, this time last week, I was in Broadcasting House, wasn't I? Yeah, BH, where I used to work. That hasn't changed very much, except everybody seems to have got a lot fatter. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You do see a lot of fat people in London, don't Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> do you keep fit? Do you go cycling or anything like that? Or? I don't have the time, dear heart. I just keep gardening. Do you worry about old age? Not a lot. Do you want to live to a ripe old age? No, I just want to make provision for my foster children and my children and my grandchildren and all the rest of it. And that's it, really. Do you have any regrets about the past at all? Yes, one. Just one. And that is, I wish I'd had more children. Why is that? Because the two I've got are so nice. <laughs> and they're such fun. Yeah, how oh, lovely. Catles is in Wandsworth and Marcus is in Surrey. But they ring me, I mean, Katie rings me every day and Marcus rings me about three times a week. And I can always tell how things are going at work by the way he starts. If it's Omar, I know, here we go. <laughs> I expect you do that too. Mm. 
So you, you obviously have maintained a very special relationship with your children all, all the I way like through. Them, very, very they're close. awfully nice. And Katie is hysterically funny. She's a very pretty girl. Mm. She's terribly funny. The other day, she said, Ma, do you know, Ma, do you know, I've never seen the Teletubbies. And I said, I think they're on fire. I think they're on now. So she went away and she came back about five minutes later and she looked at me again and she said, well, they make the Wombles look like war and peace. <laughs> <laughs> And I laughed the rest of the day.